With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Feeding the monkey is the way we refer to those random ADHD thoughts that take over your mind when you're supposed to be paying attention to something important. Hello, and welcome to Feeding the Monkey, Volume 18. Um, I was going to mess with the microphone here a second. So, I am talking to you. I've got the, uh, I've got my topics ready to go. And I've got um, some strange questions ready to go. Um, So, I might as well just be ready to go. And if you hear anything in the background that's unusual, it's because there is a kitten at my house and she is currently playing with everything. Yes, that's correct. Everything. So, uh, last week, what did we talk about last week? Um, Last week, we talked about um, online poker and the ways that online poker are different from um, are different from I guess you'd call it poker poker that's what I call it poker poker a face to face poker you know where you're talking where you're talking to a human being and you can see them and you can look right in their beady little eyes so we talked about that and I actually as kind of a follow up I decided to go and I actually went and played um, a little bit on the on uh, some online poker sites and it was surprisingly successful did not win anything major but I came in second a couple of times using those so I would say that they were good tips and you should probably make sure that you listen to the episode if you didn't do it Uh, we also talked about flying fish and about how many of them fly on purpose and how they fly not by their own power and how they rain from the sky like uh, like frogs will rain from the sky apparently and just all kinds of little critters. So that was what we did last week. This week we have how does cake batter work? So we all know that cake batter, you put all this stuff into the mixing bowl and you either do it from scratch with your salt and your sugar and whatnot or you do it from a box, and it doesn't matter which one it is, really. No, doesn't matter a bit which one it is. So anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. So, um, so you put it all in there, but how does it work? How do you make it? How does it become a cake instead of whatever it was? Uh, it was just a. It was just a pile of like. It was just a pile of dry ingredients and some eggs and milk and stuff. Oh, my goodness. I could not keep a thought. Could not keep a thought. 
Okay, so how does it go from being just a pile of flour and salt and sugar and some liquid ingredients like some eggs and some milk and stuff? How does it work? So interesting what we're going to talk here is that baking a cake is actually an extremely complex chemical process. And in order to do it successfully, you do have to concentrate and make, and um, you need to concentrate and pay attention to exactly temperatures and quantities and so forth. You don't want to just be winging it. Cake is kind of an art. Baking is an art. Um, no, baking is a science. Cooking is an art. Baking is a science. And and a failure to to heed the instructions will make it so that your that your cake doesn't work that well. So here we go. The cake dough is uh, the cake dough is just just batter, but when it's heated in the oven, a chemical reaction occurs. So how does the heat actually change things? Um, when it comes to heat and baking, there are a couple different kinds of chemical reactions that are going to go on there. One of them is exothermic. That's a reaction that produces heat and it gives off heat. And the other one is endothermic. And that's a reaction that takes heat in. So if you want to think about the differences between the two, an exothermic reaction is like lighting a match or anything that produces heat. An endothermic reaction is something like making ice cream, which is which is which has heat removed. So when you bake a cake, what you're actually doing is you're producing an endothermic reaction. So you're pulling heat into the batter and it changes, this, uh, changes it into a fluffy thing. So there are a couple of things that will, um, there are a couple of things that happen when you bake a cake. There are some things to keep in mind. Heat makes baking powder produce little bubbles of gas, which makes the cake light and fluffy. So you don't ever want to forget the baking powder. And also you don't want to make the mistake and substitute baking soda. It just doesn't work. Um, trust me, I know. I'm not going to tell you how. Just trust me, I know. Uh, one of those things a monkey's not that great at is paying attention. Okay, so heat helps the baking powder produce tiny little bubbles of gas. Heat also causes the protein from the egg to change. So if you think about it, when you take an egg and you crack it and you put it into a pan and it sits there and it bubbles happily along, it goes from having that that weird sort of ooey-gooey consistency, the white of the egg becomes white, and the uh, yolk of it becomes firmer. And depending on how long you cook it, it can actually go all the way solid. For instance, if it was a hard-boiled egg, it can go all the way solid. Or it will just be sort of half mushy and whatnot. And that's a, uh, that's a, a, a reaction of the protein to heat. So heat causes the protein from the egg to change. And that's what makes your cake firm. Um, oil. Oil keeps the heat from drying out the cake. I mean, that makes sense, right? So let's, uh, let's take a look at this. We are going to take a look at... I'm sorry, we just lost my page. Okay, so physical and chemical changes when baking a cake. 
Uh, when you pour it into the pan bowl, then add the water. The battery on, the batter only changes from solid to liquid. Uh, the second change happens when uh, you put it into the oven. We know that that's the elements reacting to the heat. Um, I'm looking. I've I have lost my page. Okay. Try it again. Okay. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the various ingredients that go into a cake and what they do. So let's look up cake batter construction. What do you think? Cake batter construction. Uh, Doesn't help at all. Oh. If you wanted to know how to make a cake that looks like construction, if you wanted to make cakes that look like construction equipment, uh, that's an excellent that's an excellent Google search. But that's not what we want. Um, try recipe. Let's try recipe. Okay. Okay. So. Let's do this. Cake batter recipe uh, versus boxed cake. Let's try that. Okay. Okay. Um, dum, dum. I don't know. That's not telling me. We wonder what the difference is. Okay. Um. Here we go. What are the differences between boxed and homemade cake? Finally, sorry about that pause there. Okay. Um, cake mixes, uh, the the ones, cake picks, mixes, it says that they have to, they all have a particular type of texture and that the texture on a, texture on a uh, boxed cake tends to be better that's interesting i'm going to say it's probably because people are not following these specific instructions so we are going to to look at specific instructions and we're going to tell you why you're doing it that way uh, okay so simple white cake we're going to start with a cup of sugar that's pretty obvious that's to sweeten the cake we need a half a cup of butter that's your oil the butter, it adds a flavor, of course, but the butter is your oil, and what that does is that keeps the cake from drying out. We have two eggs. Again, we discussed that already. What that does, the protein changes with the heat, which makes it become firmer. Two teaspoons vanilla extract. That, of course, is, the, uh, is just flavor. One and a half cups all-purpose flour, and that's an important thing to remember, that it's all-purpose flour. I'll explain that briefly. The reason why we want to use all-purpose flour, um, you can use different, there are different kinds of flour, and then really the difference between them is a difference in how much protein that they have in, they have in them. Um, so they they often come from different uh, different parts of the wheat, or they may come with different things all together. All-purpose flour. Uh, this is hard and soft wheat. It can be bleached or unbleached. It's usually plain flour is another word for it. Um, it has eight to eleven percent 
protein in it. Um, the protein in this case is referred to as gluten. And of course, for people who have celiac disease or have gluten sensitivity, that's the reason why wheat flour is such a problem for them. It has uh, 8 to 11 percent uh, protein. All-purpose flour, it's one of the most commonly used and readily accessible in the United States. Uh, flour that's bleached naturally as it ages, as opposed to having a chemical agent or a chemical process applied to it. All-purpose flour that is uh, that just ages and turns white on its own is called unbleached. Um, chemically treated flour is labeled bleach. Bleached flour has slightly less protein than unbleached and is best for pie crust, bread, pancakes, waffles. Um, you're going to use um, oh, quick breads, excuse me, which is like, you know, when you make banana nut bread and so forth. That's bleached flour. Unbleached flour is much better for yeast breads. And, of course, that's anything else. That's anything that, that rises. Um, Danish pastries, cream puffs, anything of that nature. Um, almond flour is gluten-free. Amaranth flour is also gluten-free, and amaranth is an ancient grain. The word amaranth means everlasting in Greek. Um, it contains more protein than any other gluten-free grain and also more protein than wheat flour. Um, so cake flour. So remember this recipe that we're going with, calling for all-purpose flour. And you're probably wondering, well, if there's such a thing called cake flour, why don't we use it? Cake flour is a fine textured soft wheat flour. It has a very high starch content. It has the lowest protein content of any wheat flour. It's about 8 to 10% protein. It's chlorinated, which is uh, the, bleaching, the bleaching process. It leaves the flour a little bit acidic, which sets cake faster and distributes fat more evenly. Uh, when you're making baked goods with a high ratio of sugar to flour, this flour will be able, able to hold its rise, excuse me, and less able to, less liable to collapse. So remember that in our recipe, we've got one cup of sugar and we got one and a half cups all-purpose flour. So we're at a little less than one-to-one -one ratio on sugar and flour. So we basically, upshot is we don't need to worry about the flour, about the cake falling because this is not an extra, it's not an extra high, um, this is not an extra high uh, protein flour. It's very low. This flour, it's excellent for baking fine textured cakes. It's used in some quick breads, muffins and cookies. Um, so that's cake flour. There is also um, pastry flour. It's also made with soft wheat. Uh, it falls somewhere between all-purpose and cake flour in terms of protein. Pastry flour, which is also known as cookie flour, has a protein of about 9 to 10%. So it's right there in that middle range. Uh, you make biscuits, pie crusts, brownies, cookies. Uh, makes tender but crumbly pastry. You don't ever want to use it for yeast bread. Uh, it's, just, it's just way too crumbly. Uh, it's not readily available at supermarkets. But, you know, you can go to uh, online stores, especially King Arthur Flour has every kind of flour you can think of. Strange. Imagine a company with flour in the name having flour. But anyway, they're not a sponsor. They are just a, a brand that I use, and I use, um, I use them pretty much. That's it as far as flour goes. Um, you can also mimic 
pastry flour by using a two-to-one ratio of all-purpose flour to cake flour. So, uh, you know, half a cup of all-purpose flour and then a quarter cup of uh, cake flour to imitate to imitate organic flour. Um, to imitate pastry flour. You can't imitate organic flour. Organic comes from uh, comes from organically grown wheat. <laughs> Can't believe I said that. Uh, it's the same way as regular flour. Organic flour. Uh, it has just has to follow this USDA regulations to be labeled organic. Uh, it doesn't matter if you use it or not. You're not. It's not one of the uh, all important. You must use this as organic, or or you're going to be suffering from all kind of chemicals and stuff um, because it's highly processed. It's flour. It's already ground and so on. I'm going to open a soda now ah, because when I talk a lot, my throat gets a little dry. Okay. So anyway, on we have rye flour. Um, the color of the flour depends on how much bran has been removed. Removed, excuse me. It is a low gluten flour, uh, which makes it a better choice than wheat bread. In some instances, if you have a because if you if you have a sensitivity, because rye flour is very low in protein. A general rule um, is to put one third the amount of rye flour with wheat flour to ensure the bread will rise pop- properly. So basically take your recipe. If your recipe says two cups of, uh, of wheat flour, in order to make it with rye flour, you're going to take, um, you're going to take a third of that out. And that will ensure that the bread will rise properly. This type of flour, self-rising flour, is interesting. It's phosphated flour. It's very low protein. It's got salt and baking powder already added. So it's really good for Biscuits, muffins, cakes, pastries, pastries, excuse me, don't use it for yeast bread. Um, but what is interesting is that self-rising flour is also excellent for uh, breading fish. If you're going to make uh, fried uh, English-style fish and chips, take a little bit of self-rising flour, add a little salt and, uh, uh, and you know, pepper, some flavoring. Make a batter out of it, dip the fish in it, put it in the frying pan uh, or in your deep fat fryer, and it is amazing. Semolina flour is from Durham wheat. That is an extremely hard wheat. Um, it is what you make. Um, excuse me. That is what you make. Um, what are those things called? Noodles? Pasta. It's what you make pasta out of, semolina flour. Um, there's also... Uh, whole wheat flour. Um, that's also called graham flour. It's made from whole kernel of wheat. It's much higher in dietary fiber and overall con- nutrient content than white flour. It does not have as high a gluten level. So it's often mixed with all-purpose or bread flour when making yeast breads. And again, remember, uh, just like the rye bread, you just want to take about a third out of your recipe and substitute it with the whole wheat uh, bread flour is white flour. It's made from very hard wheat. It uh, has more more pr- protein than all-purpose flour. It's about 12 to 14%. And it is the best product. If you're making bread, 
you're going to use bread flour at least a little bit. So this recipe calls for all-purpose flour. That means that we want to make sure that we don't substitute any other kind of flour. And now you know why. It's because of the protein content. And it has to do with uh, how well the cake will rise and the kind of texture it will have. Um, then you've got one and a third teaspoons of baking powder. We know the baking powder is what makes it get fluffy. Half a cup of milk, that is the liquid. You don't. You can't just put everything in there. You need to dissolve it into something, and in this case, milk is the solvent. Um, you're going to make your batter. You're going to throw it in the oven for about half an hour, and, and, uh, and then boom, you're done. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's fantastic, and you eat it. You can uh, dissolve some sugar or some uh, confectioner sugar, which is a very finely ground sugar. You don't want to use super fine sugar for this. It won't work. But confectioner sugar, um, mix it with a couple tablespoons of, of uh, lime juice or lemon juice or orange juice, and you will get the appropriately flavored glaze. You can also make a ganache out of chocolate, but... Ganache out of chocolate is a little beyond what we are looking to look to talk about today. So that, in a nutshell, my friends, is how cake batter works. So next, yes, I'm drinking. I'm drinking my soda. It's better than sounding like this. Okay. All right. That's why I'm drinking my soda, because we don't want to sound like that. Okay, paint by numbers. So I love to do paint by number kits, and not we're not talking lions with with six colors. Um, the most recent one that I com- completed was a copy of a Thomas Kincaid um, garden, it and it does have all the all the appropriate highlighting and so forth that uh, Thomas Kincaid pictures are known for. They call him painter of light, I guess. Um, I have done paint by numbers of uh, of the Grand Canyon, just all kinds of, of things. So they are actually good for all age ranges. I started doing them when I was uh, probably seven. That's how my my, uh, I used to go visit my grandmother in Texas, and that was kind of how she shut me up, was by uh, was by handing me a paint-by-numbers kit. So, and and the way that I look at them is I kind of look at them as like paint as uh, paint-by-numbers. I look at them kind of like as coloring books, only the colors are filled in for you, so you end up with a consistent result every time. And they do take a little bit of skill. You do need a little bit of practice to do some of these larger ones. And I'll give you some of those tips. So uh, paint by numbers. It describes a kit. It has a board, obviously, on which light uh, blue or gray lines. Uh, They were invented in 1950. Uh, An engineer, owner of the Palmer uh, Paint Company of Detroit, and Dan Robbins, a commercial artist so it was it's in the 50s and i'm just looking this up here so 1951 uh christmas 1951 you're going to macy's actually it's a little it's march 
March of 1951. Holidays are over. There is a brand new kind of craft project out called Paint by Number. They, they bought the, many of these kits. Anyone could see they had mass appeal. Um, the Russia Macy's was actually a publicity stunt. The product itself was inspired by Leonardo da Vinci. This is interesting. So uh, when Dan Robbins, who was the 13th employee of the Palmer Paint Company, he read that da Vinci taught his apprentices the basics of painting by using numbered patterns on a canvas. Okay, we're looking that up right now. Did da Vinci... Let's see. We are looking... Yeah, we are looking at this. Da Vinci... Paint by numbers. Oh. Here we go. Da Vinci... My numbers, yeah, we need to know this. My computer is being obnoxious to me, and so now I'm going around it the other way. There we go. I called it three times to delete that line. It would not delete it. It would not. Okay. So, dum 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 da dum. Every man a rembant. This is AmericanHistory.edu. Every man a rembant. Rembrandt. Early 1950s, each paint-by-number kit included two brushes and up to 90 pre-mixed numbered paints ready to be applied to numbered spaces on this board. Um, one hobbyist likened the process to an addiction. I know I'm not much of an artist and never will be. I've tried in vain repeatedly to draw or paint something recognizable. Why didn't you or someone else tell me before how much fun it is to use these wonderful paint-by-number sets? I am on my fifth set, and I just can't leave them alone. And here is a quote that's just about that I just read that is uh, it's kind of making me smile. Um, you you may know or you may not know the number one books being sold at Amazon are actually coloring books, and people have pointed to this as showing the general mass decline of America. Oh, America is in decline. They're coloring, adult coloring. Um, the paint-by-numbers in 1950, uh, uh, one writer complained to an American artist, I don't know what America is coming to when thousands of people, many of them adults, are willing to be regimented into brushing paint on a jigsaw miscellany of dictated shapes and all by rote. Can't you rescue some of these souls, or should I say morons? So there you go. I, I'm happy to be a moron. I will be a moron. So what kind of kits do you think there are available? I think that you will be astonished, actually, at the variety of kits that are available. There are simple ones. Let's just look, because I know the answer to this question, but I want to make sure that I tell you I tell you um, the exact, the exact right definitions and so forth. So, what we've got is first you've got your basic, your simple paint by numbers. Um, classification paint by number kit classification. 
Um, let's see. Paint by number wall murals. Yeah, I just found that. Um, oh my goodness. Purple irises do it yourself oil paint by number kit for your bedroom. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. They have, uh, yeah, wheat field with cypresses, do-it-yourself oil paint. That is a Van Gogh. That is a that is a um, that is a paint by number, not just a paint by number, but uh, a a mural, a really huge paint by number. Anyway, sorry about that. So, paint by numbers come first. You can get your basic, your easy set, obviously. Um, these are your beginners, kid, kids, and juniors, um, puppies, kitties, horses. Uh, they generally contain um, uh, 10 paints with them. Uh, they are, you know, they're blocky. They're not greatly detailed, um, but they're good for starting out. There are... Um, there are no blending. They're called paint by numbers. And there is a difference. Okay, so there is a difference. Some paint by numbers are pre-mixed. And you've got maybe, you know, uh, as I said before, up to 90 colors. But some paint by numbers are so advanced that they actually, instead of using pre-mixed acrylic paint, they give you a basic palette oil paints. And you actually have to match the, you actually have to mix the paint. And mixing the colors is, is probably the most difficult part of painting. Um, it, beyond that, you can do abstracts, you can do somewhat, you know, uh, pointillated, whatever you want to do. Um, if you can't exactly replicate a barn, you can probably make a barn look somewhat barn-like, but it's your ability to mix the colors so that there is the appropriate difference between the, you know, say the face of the barn is where the light is hitting it, and so it's going to be lighter than the side of the barn, which is going to be slightly darker, and it's your ability to match those paint colors that really uh, makes, uh, really defines art as far as I can tell as far as I have ever been exposed to. I've had a few um, courses in college and so forth on art and painting. So these master sets, they're called, they come with oil paints. They come with just a basic palette. And they are, they are pictures of things like the Mona Lisa, uh, Monet, lots of Van Gogh, um, all kinds of really highly advanced I don't do very many of those because I am not that talented at mixing the paint. And if you're not that talented at mixing the paint, it doesn't look very good. So I go with no blending kits. And these can be quite advanced. These can be, um, like I said, I did a Thomas Kincaid recently. There are um, flowers, pastels, just you name it. If you want it as a paint-by-number, it is probably a paint-by-number. Another thing that you can do is, um, so, um, Dan Robbins, 
He read that Da Vinci taught. He read that Da Vinci taught his apprentices this. Oh, what I was going to say: if you want to paint a wall mural, mural paint by numbers, you can also do it with a projection. You can put a projection of the image that you want to paint and trace its outlines on the wall. And this is actually how Da Vinci taught his students perspective was he would put a picture on the wall and they would trace it. They would they would trace the picture. So um, so the uh, the originally the paint by number kits didn't do um, very well uh, initially. They were called Craftmaster. So. Um, so, um, um, so then what did they go with? Oh, so critics and serious artists. Uh, we're still looking at mentalfloss.com, history of paint by numbers. Uh, critics and serious artists scoffed at the idea that you didn't need talent or training to make something worth hanging on a wall. Uh, the rest of the country loved it, of course. Fan mail from adults and kids point, uh, poured in. Um, I sit here all day and paint. By 1954, Palmer Paint boasted $20 million in sales of Craftmaster kits. You can still get Craftmaster, as a matter of fact, by paint by numbers. I off uh, the ones that I do um, are usually by plaid or um, or other. Um, Hirschner's has a great line of them. Uh, but you can actually still get Craftmaster paint by numbers. So let me see what other brands there are out there. You can get them as, uh, sorry, you can get them as um, uh, for religious themes or you can get them as triptychs. Seriously, you can get paint by numbers as anything. So let's. Why would you want to? Uh, why would you want to do paint by numbers to begin with? I will tell you a little bit about the reason that I like to do them. I very much uh, enjoy creating. However, with an addition, with <laughs> sorry, my tongue went all kinds of crazy there. With uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, I do have a hard time sitting still. And I have not really had much luck in being able to uh, imitate life in a convincing matter, convincing manner on paper, no matter what the medium. And I've tried tracing. I've tried everything. I just I'm I'm just not good at it. But paint by numbers give me the opportunity to be able to create something. Also, uh, if you do happen to have ADHD or ADD, you may be aware of a state called hyperfocus. And what that is is the ability to actually concentrate on something that is holding your interest. So, for instance, if I'm if I'm raking leaves, there's no chance no chance whatsoever of my holding a coherent thought for 10 minutes in a row um, or even for five minutes in a row or probably even for 30 seconds in a row, let's be honest. Um, there, there's no chance of that happening. However, with the paint by numbers, because it's sort of quiet and it doesn't involve a whole lot 
of random thought. I do have to pay attention to what color I am putting where. Um, I find them to be highly relaxing just because they appease uh, my ADHD. I promise to give you a couple tips, and I will do that. Uh, if you're going to do a paint by numbers, the first thing that you want to do is you want to start in the upper left-hand corner, unless you're left-handed, and then you're going to start in the upper right-hand corner. The reason for that is pretty simple. You probably already know it, but I'll tell you anyway. It's so that as you are working on the painting, as you come to different areas, you're not dragging your arm through the paint. So that is... Uh, number one, you're not dragging your arm through already painted areas. That's why you start in the upper corner, right or left, the opposite of what hand you are in order to make it uh, easier for you to keep it tidy. Number two is you don't want to rest your hand on the canvas or on the board. Your hand contains oils and it can make it to where parts of the canvas are difficult to uh, have a different absorption rate of the paints. Also, the, pan the canvas will move underneath your hand. So you want to make sure that you don't put your hand on the canvas. What I usually do is I usually I hold the brush in my right hand and then I actually hold my, my right arm with my left hand and I use that as a prop. There's now a big cat fight going on as opposed to the smaller cat fight that has been ongoing for the past half an hour. Uh, so don't put your hand in the canvas. Number three is don't use too much paint. Sometimes the light areas, you may have a difficulty with covering up the number. What you want to do is cover the number first with the lighter color and then let that dry and then fill in the space, fill in the numbered space and that will help you take care of that. You don't want big globs of paint. Uh, for one thing, they don't look nice, and for another thing, they don't dry very well, and uh, they kind of don't help your, your finished product at all, uh, not even a little bit. Um, so that's number three is apply the paint evenly. Number four is to fill in as much, uh, to fill in as many areas with whatever paint color you're currently working with. So so you set yourself a little a, a little rectangle and you're like, okay, today I'm going to do this little rectangle or I'm going to do this little rectangle for the next five minutes or whatever, whatever. So, so you may have six spots that have 10 on there and some of them are sort of at the bottom of your rectangle or whatever. Fill in all the damn 10s. Just fill them all in. There's no reason to be cleaning your brush and then putting on more 10, and then cleaning your brush and doing 5 and 4, and then cleaning your brush and doing more 10. Do all the 10 all at once in your little area. That will help it so that all your shading is roughly the same because paint's all roughly the same age right there. Uh, and it's also just easier, and it keeps you from having to worry about your, your brushes and, um, and keeping them clean so that you don't end up mixing colors inadvertently. Um, that's the next tip when it comes to brushes just don't even bother with that brush that comes with it it's ridiculous it's a ludicrous brush um, you really do want to go out and you want to get yourself 
an actual set of brushes, depending on if you're doing, I'm going to assume you're doing acrylic. I'm assuming if you've never done paint by numbers before, you aren't going to get a master set and mix your own oil paints. So we're just assuming that you're doing an acrylic one here. Uh, get yourself a set of paint brushes. Go to Michael's or Joanne's, again, not sponsors, but just go down there and pick up a set for maybe eight, nine dollars of acrylic brushes. Uh, they, they'll get, you'll get flat brushes, you'll get round ones, you'll get pointed ones, and all of those serve different functions, and you will wish that you had them. You will appreciate having them. Um, finally, uh, well, not finally, flat brushes are for painting flat, uh, flat large areas. Round brushes are for painting in uh, like little corners and things. Uh, pointed brushes are for lines. So that's what the that's what the three brushes are for. You're going to want to have uh, some clean water, a uh, glass of clean water. I actually uh, keep my water in an old coleslaw dressing jar, and I actually got coleslaw dressing so that I could use the jar for for paint by numbers. Um, the most important thing to remember about your brushes, if you want your brushes to last longer than one, than one project, never leave them sitting in a glass of water and do not store them brush side down. Rinse them out and store them with the brush facing up. Otherwise, you're going to squish the end of your brush and it's just not going to work all that well. Um, I think that's about everything. Uh, that I know about those topics. I do appreciate you listening. I always appreciate you listening. I always appreciate your shares. Um, if uh, you just if you have any questions on these particular topics, for instance, just real quickly because I'm running out of time here, but uh, of, uh, a a listener contacted me and wanted me to know that when Vlad the Impaler was impaling you on his stake and you know what, you usually were alive. FYI, he figured out a way to do it so that it wouldn't kill you. He kind of diverted the, the stake so that it wouldn't go through the cardiac area. So you would actually be alive and, uh, and you could enjoy the, the prolonged suffering of hanging on a pike that has been shoved up the orifice that is the most easy to shove up through. Anyway, if you have questions or comments or anything, you can reach me at monkey at feedingthemonkey.com. That's M-O-N-K-E-Y at feedingthemonkey.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Feeding the Monkey. And there's a website, www.feedingthemonkey.com. That's all one word. And there you will also find the show notes. I make show notes for each um, uh, episode so that you can follow all the research that I did at the same time. Um, for next week, uh, we are going to look at uh, how... Many, there, this is an interesting one. How many blades there are in a fan, in a ceiling fan in India versus versus um, an American 
or any other ceiling fan. The ceiling fans in India have different numbers, and we'll find out why. And and what's a good topic? What do we want to do? Do we have ceiling fans in India? I think that we should figure out... Um, Let's see. Gosh, there's just so many good topics. And um, there's just so many good topics. And I can't think of them all. Oh, you know what? I want to know how the post office tracks your mail. I want to know how the post office knows when you pick up your, when when he picks up your mail in one place. I want to know how he knows where to take the mail to. And so we will look at the history of the post office and find out all about it because I know it's earlier than the than the uh, Pony Express. So that's us. Uh, appreciate you listening again. Uh, we'll be here next Thursday. Um, and uh, in the meantime, all I can say is uh, have yourself some upbeat outro music. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.